Welcome to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Laconia campus. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Capital Church. If it's your first time or second time or third time, I'm Pastor Greg, and uh, it is Resurrection Sunday. Amen. This is like the Super Bowl of Christianity. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much that you have brought each one of us here, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to each person here. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, God, so that we might hear your word. God, that you would open our eyes that we might see you. God, I pray that each one of us would be transformed this morning. God, that you would resurrect our faith. That we might have a closer walk with following you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, Kat, like in the first service, let's show that little, that little video from the beginning. This is, this is good. I doubt that things that happened in the Bible can still happen today. I doubt my decisions about the future. I doubt that I can follow through. I doubt that I can rest in that peace that passes all understanding when I'm in a financial crisis. I doubt that I can do greater things than Jesus and the disciples. I doubt that I'll ever be able to figure out the plan that God has for me. I doubt that my parents getting back together. I doubt in my abilities to serve. I doubt that God will answer my prayers. I doubt that I can change myself. I doubt that I can turn everything over to God. I doubt that my whole family is going to get saved. I doubt I'll be a success. I doubt my ability to lead well. I doubt. 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 I doubt that the Red Sox are going to win the World Series this year. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. No, I like the Red Sox, but I just doubt because they're the Red Sox. But it's human to doubt. It's human to doubt. We all struggle with doubt. And we doubt because in our minds we, we try to portray and conceive what reality is. And we see things that don't align with our reality and how we process and how we understand things. It creates an unsettling within us that we call doubt. And doubt can be, can be a good thing. It can cause us to question. It can cause us to search. It can cause us to look for answers to questions that we don't necessarily understand yet. It can drive us to the truth. But unfortunately, doubt can also create a divide. It can separate us from the one who is truth. Have you ever doubted God? Raise your hand if you've ever doubted God. I think we should all raise our hands. <laughs> I mean, this idea of doubting God is so real to me. For most of my early life up until the age of 20, I really doubted God. I was an atheist. I tried to convince people all the time that there wasn't a God. I had a, one Christian friend in high school who used to try to talk to me about God and uh, I thought she was kind of crazy. I did. And I can remember writing her this letter one time um, to try to talk to her about uh, evolution and, and all these different things about God and, or the lack thereof. And uh, I wrote it, and it was long. And I went through all these different reasons why I didn't believe what she believed. And, um, and I never sent it. 
And I never sent it to her because she was my friend. And she was so kind and loving towards me, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So I filed it away in a shoebox with a whole bunch of other stuff. And when I was a junior in college, God pursued me in my place of doubt. God came after me, literally, and met me in my place of doubt. And over the course of two months, I committed my life to Christ, to following Jesus. And I remember going home and finding that box and, that had the letter and looking through, and I found the letter, and I read it, and I wept. And I wept because I realized that my perception of reality was so far from the truth. And I realized that the reason why I was doubting God wasn't because I didn't believe that he existed. Because I always believe that God exists. I mean, come on. Can everything in this universe be the result of chance? It wasn't that at all. It's because I didn't want to follow him. I didn't want to live with the consequence that if there is truly a God and he has standards for how I should live, then it would restrict me. I didn't want a God who would also be my Lord. And so I convinced myself he didn't exist. You see, faith isn't just believing that God exists. Faith is believing God. And I'd say most of us don't struggle with the first part. But most of us do struggle with the latter Believe in God. This has been a problem since the beginning of humanity. When God made man and formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him, he said that man is in my image. And he set man up to be in this relationship where man could come and learn and, and interact with God and he would reveal truth. In the midst of the garden, which is really just the earth, God set up a tree, it was called the knowledge of good and evil, and God gave man one command, he said, don't eat from that tree, lest you'll die. Why did God do that? He doesn't say why, and I think it's, it's good that he did answer that. But he set this tree up, and then the serpent came and said to man, did God really say don't eat from that tree? And to paraphrase, maybe God's holding something back from you. Maybe you can live a life that's so much greater if you do this on your own. Maybe if you know as God knows and you see as God sees, maybe you're missing out on something in trying to have this relationship with God. So Adam and Eve ate from the tree and experienced evil for the first time. They had the knowledge not of just good, but also of evil. And when they ate from the tree and disobeyed God, it brought death into the world. It created this wedge between man and God. For God is holy and sin can't be in his presence. And man chose to try to do it on his own way. So the history of man has been this story of man trying to live life in this broken world, stumbling along the way, trying to do it his own way, trying to know as God knows, but the problem is we don't know as God knows. We have this imperfect view of things. We're not all-knowing. 
but yet we want to be all-knowing. So we doubt. But God wasn't satisfied to leave humanity in this place of doubt. See, after the fall in Genesis, if you have your Bibles, In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, God gave a glimpse of the solution of removing the doubt and covering the sin that separated man from God. Verse 20, it says that man called his wife, his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Now, according to God's law, should have been the end for Adam. So it said that God said, if you eat from this tree, you shall die. And yes, Adam and Eve experienced death afterwards, both physical and spiritual. But God wasn't satisfied with leaving them in that place, leaving in that place of death and doubt. God made a sacrifice to clothe them, to continue the relationship forward. And this sacrifice that he made in Genesis was a glimpse of the ultimate sacrifice that he would made, make by sending his son into the world to die on the cross for our sinfulness. That God has been willing and is continuously pursuing us, even in our place of doubt, so that we might come to a place of faith, of not just believing that he exists, but believing him. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus came into the world as a light to show us that we've been living in darkness, to show us that we have been living separated from God. And he came to die on a cross. In chapter 2, it says, John saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, fully God and fully man, died on the cross for the sins of all humanity. An infinite being dying for this finite race to cover and pay for our sin debt for all of eternity. And it says in John that the true light, verse 9, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Can you imagine what that is like? That the one who created the entire universe came to die for all of humanity, and the, those that he created didn't even recognize him and acknowledge him. It's like the feeling of being, who are, if you're a parent, 
I've worked with youth for a long time. How does it feel when your kids reject you? It's probably about the worst feeling you can feel. How does it feel when your kids come up and run up to you and give you a big hug and say, I love you, Mom, I love you, Dad? It's probably about the best feeling in the world. See, Jesus came to us to save us, to rescue us from the consequences of sin and to remove doubt that has separated us, that has been a wedge. But they didn't see it. So Jesus lived and he ministered and there were those who began to follow him. And the ones who were especially close were called his disciples. And there were 12. And as they followed him, he gave them glimpses of why he was here. He gave them glimpses of the mission that God had sent him on. But yet they struggled all along because in their mind, they had a different reason for why Jesus was there. They thought that Jesus had come to overthrow the government. And they had all these different thoughts about why Jesus had come. But Jesus came to die to pay for the sins of humanity. It says in John 3.16, a passage that we hear so often. For God so loved the world. And the so love doesn't mean so love. It means this is how he displayed his love for the world. Exhibited his love for the world. That he gave. That he sent. That he offered his only son to die for those who would reject him. Can you fathom that? I wouldn't allow my son to die for anybody. I don't care who. I would not allow my son to die. But God allowed his son to die, not only for the ones who didn't believe what he was saying, but even for the ones who don't even believe in him. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That he sent his son as a sacrifice for the payment of the sin that separated us from God for all eternity. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Because that would have been long gone but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So God offers this, this, this gift, this payment for the sin that separates us. And we have a choice. We can allow him to clothe us we can allow him to be our sacrifice, to cover us so that we can be with God and begin to live this life back of having a relationship the way God intended it to be. Or we can say, no thanks. That's not for me. I can do this my own way. I know as God knows. I can live my life the way. Because if... If I gave it all, wouldn't I be missing out on something? You know, the longer I serve as a pastor, the more brokenness I see in, in lives and individuals and across the board, both in believers and non-believers. The more I'm convinced that 
this is not the way it's supposed to be. And that's why Jesus sent his son. And he sent his son not just for the sin, which he died for. He resurrected his son so that he could pursue, pursue us as we doubt. You see, when Jesus went to the cross and was dying on, his, on the cross, his disciples were nowhere to be found. When he was arrested and taken to be beaten, they all fled. They all went into hiding, except for a few. And most of them were women, were the ones that hung around. So if that says anything about the moral fiber of women versus men, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Easy now. Easy now. I, t- I won't go there. I won't go there. Uh, easy. But they fled, and they went to hiding, and they doubted, and they doubted because in their mind they had a conception of what God should be like. And I think we all do that. We all paint in our mind this picture, and we try to design a God and say, okay, based upon my perception, I think God should be like this, and God should be like this, and God should have these attributes. And so we pick and choose, and we sculpt, and we form, and, and we make our, our, our God which is really not God at all. Rather than believing the God who has revealed himself through his son. And so they doubted because Jesus on the cross didn't fit their view of what God is like. They expected so much more. But really God over-delivered. So they fled, and Jesus died, and he gave his last breath, and darkness came over the land. His body was taken off the cross, and he was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. His body was wrapped in grave clothes, and he stayed in the tomb Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday. In the morning of Sunday, a few women went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, and you can read this in the Gospel of Luke, towards the end, it's uh, 24. Mary Magdalene and Joanna went to the tomb, and when they got there, they saw that the stone had rolled away. And they had this interaction with these angels, which I can't even imagine, blow, blow your mind, Right? So they went back to the disciples who were in hiding, who had locked themselves in a room because they were afraid, even though Jesus had warned them and said, fear not, I'm going away. Fear not, but I'm coming back. Fear not. And it says in verse 11, but these words seemed what Joanna and Mary, when they came back, said, Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't there. He's risen. They said, but these words seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And as I was digging through the word for, for this idle tale, and I, and I was looking at a thesaurus, I went from Greek to English, and basically the thesaurus said it means BS, a fairy tale. These were the ones who decided to leave everything to follow Jesus. These were the ones who dropped their nets. These were the ones who left their father and mother. 
But when things got tough, when things didn't go the way they thought they should go, when their reality or what they thought was reality didn't fit with their view of God, they began to abandon their faith and they doubted who Jesus was. They doubted whether he was their savior. He, they doubted whether he was their Lord. He doubted whether he was their God. In the Gospel of John, we see that after Mary and Joanna came to the disciples, then Peter ran to the tomb with John. And when they got to the tomb and they saw that it was empty, then they believed. And then they went back to the other disciples and they all hid in a room again in fear and locked the door because they still struggled with doubt. You know, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And you know what he did for 40 days after he rose from the dead? He went to all of those who doubted. And he showed himself as the resurrected Lord so that doubt would no longer be a wedge. He met them in their place of doubt. Just like God did for me. There was no reason why I should have became a believer other than that God pursued and met me in my place of doubt. One day when I was packing, I probably shared this with some of you before, one day I was packing my book bag to go to class and I heard God say, don't you want a Bible? And that was the weirdest thing because there's no way that I would want a Bible. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is that? I had no thoughts of God at that time. And I was walking to class and I walked up a hill and there were a bunch of these little Gideon guys handing out Gideon's Bibles. And so I took one and then I saw that the other college kids were throwing them on the ground. So I started taking them all off the ground because I felt bad. And there was just something inside of me where God started to speak and it, it was like, oh my goodness, what is this? And so I, I ended up taking them and, and putting them on a wall and, and keeping the one that I had in my pocket. And then I went back to my old life though. I went back to my walls of doubt, just like the disciples did, locking myself in a room, allowing these walls to go up between me and God. But amen, hallelujah, Jesus, in John chapter 20, it says, on the evening, while it was still dark, of that day, which is Easter, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Did you catch that? Jesus walked through the wall. Oh, come on. How can that happen? Actually, according to string theory, it can. I mean, it's highly improbable, but if, you, if I go like this, infinitely, Eventually, my hand will go right through. But God, who is sovereign over the entire universe, revealed himself as the God of the universe and walked through the wall, metaphorically saying, I'm coming through your walls of doubt. Because I am not allowing that doubt to be in the way of you knowing me any longer. 
And then Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And if we're honest, that's what we need. Because as we put up these walls and we try to do life on our own, our life becomes a hot mess. In the words of Corey back there. Because we can't do life apart from God. So as we allow Jesus to come through our walls of doubt, he says, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad, meaning they rejoiced, meaning that fear that they had started to go away. And they realized that, wow, Jesus is who he said he was. He said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so am I, I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just like when Adam and Eve were formed from the dust of the ground, he breathed and gave them spiritual life. And then they died in disobedience and experienced spiritual death. Jesus now restored spiritual life to the disciples. He caused them to be born again. But there was somebody who wasn't there. There was somebody who wasn't quite there yet, who didn't quite believe, and just so happened he wasn't there when he needed to be. It's like, you know when you're at church and you hear a sermon, it's like, oh, that person needs to hear this sermon. Right? Yeah. And his name was Thomas. And Thomas was a realist. He was an individual that literally needed to see things to believe them. He struggled with faith. He struggled with believing that which he could not see. He needed to touch it. No, he needed to jam his hand in the side of Jesus. It says that, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, unless I see the Lord, his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place, and the word for this place means to cast, so really what he's saying, I need to throw my hand in his side, which sounds gross, but it's real. It's real. He's being honest. He's going to God with his doubt and honestly saying, I cannot believe. Help my unbelief. The Bible says that faith is a gift of God. It's not something we conjure up. It's a spiritual thing that God imparts to us. So Thomas was going to God with his doubt and just laying it out there, saying, you know what? I don't believe in you. Meet me in my place of doubt. Help me to believe. Resurrect my faith. Eight days later, which means that he still hung around. Even though he doubted, he kept coming. Eight days later, his disciples, inside again, by the way, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He walked through the wall again. If it wasn't enough the first time, Jesus was saying, I'm coming to you to meet you in your place of doubt. I will walk through your walls of doubt to show you how much I love you. To reveal to you how much I love you. And so he walked through the wall and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger, can you believe this? In my mind, that if I were God, which I'm glad I'm not, or if I were Jesus, which I'm glad I'm not, and I, and I heard about Thomas, I'd be like, oh man, no way. Come on. No way. You, well, if you can't just believe on based on what you see, then you know, you're, not, you're not so good a Christian, right? But no. No. Jesus died for our sin, and he also died for our doubt. Jesus met Thomas with grace. He met Thomas with grace because we all doubt, each one of us. And Jesus never wants a doubt to get in the way of a relationship with him. So he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, or do not disbelieve, but believe. And then it says this, which is beautiful. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. When Thomas turned to God with his doubt, God resurrected his faith. His faith, not just that God exists, because even the demons believe that God exists. His ability to believe God to believe what he says is true. His ability to have him as his savior. To believe that Christ on the cross, the payment he made is enough to cover my sin. To believe that he, he loves me and that there's no sin that I have committed that's gonna... Which is one of the fundamental struggle. I've heard so many people say, well, I don't go to that church because the roof would fall down. Oh, come on. Then you don't understand Christianity because we're all sinners. We all need to repent for our sin. We're all broken. We all need a savior. You can't out-sin God's grace. Okay? You can't out-sin God's grace. Now, as he saves you, he remakes you, and you start to live more like him, which is evidence that you're saved, okay? But Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin, past, present, and future. But not only is our Savior, in the words of Thomas, he's our Lord. And in doubt, we struggle with having him as our Lord because in our mind, we perceive that, well, I could do this life better on my own. So we compartmentalize God. We allow him into certain aspects of our life, saying, well, okay, I can believe this, and Sunday morning I'll give that to God, and, and then maybe I'll go to a Bible study and I'll give that to God. But, you know, when it comes to uh, 
my plans for my life, when it comes to my relationships in my life, when it comes to my dreams for my life, well, those are mine. And God can't have access to those. And those areas that we block them out, those are the areas we end up struggling the most. Because although we think we can know as God knows, we can't know as God knows. And we need his peace. We need his rest. We need him to lead us through life. That's how he made us. He made us to be in his image, meaning that to reflect him like a mirror. Okay, so if God's, God's here and I'm here and as I'm in front of him in relationship to him, I reflect him. Both back to him, which is to glorify him, and then to the world, to reveal him to the world. That's our function. That's why God made us. And as we begin to live that, this life of following him and, for, and, and living that, we find the ultimate fulfillment. And lastly, Thomas says, not just my Lord, but also my God, professing that he is able, professing that, that he is able, he is, the word is sovereign, that God is in control. That it doesn't matter what the circumstance of life is. It doesn't matter how messy life is. God is still in control. Although we, we see in a mirror dimly, we can't see how things are going to work out. We're called to trust him. We're called to believe him, that he is in control. And then as we do that, he stills our heart. And we find peace. And we find joy. And we find hope. And we find purpose. And we discover why he made us. Not to be separated, but to be in relationship. And then in verse 29, Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have not believed. Or yet have believed, I'm sorry. Let me read that again. (laughs) Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. That although we have never seen Jesus, we've never touched the holes in his hands or put our hand in his side, he gives us an assurance. He meets us in our place of doubt. He destroys our walls of doubt. He breaks them down so that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. That is the good news of Easter Sunday. That Jesus died for our sins and he rose again to cast out all doubt. To meet us in our place of doubt. To resurrect our faith. And that's the good news of Easter Sunday. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to have the worship team come up and we're going to uh, if you're struggling with doubt and you want God to meet you in your place of doubt, can you lift up your hands? Can you, can you just lift up your hands to God and I'm going to pray. God, I pray for all those who are struggling with doubt. 
God, who are struggling to trust you as their Savior, as their Lord, and as their God. And God, I pray that you would speak to their doubt. God, I pray that you would calm their fear. God, I pray that you would show them who you truly are, the God who loves them, the God who made them, the God who died for them. God, I pray that you would fortify them in the inside so that they might begin to live a life of following you and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 